I'm writing this letter to you so that you know how to conduct things in the church, to live consistent with the truth, revealed truth, divine truth, the Word of God. And all throughout this letter, on both sides of that verse, before it and after it, Paul gives instruction for the life of the church. In particular, let's go back to chapter 2 and look at the instruction for women. Welcome to Grace to You with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. Have you ever been to a church pastored by a woman? That used to be quite rare, but now around 20% of pastors are women, which many people applaud. They see it as an example of progress, equality in the church. But should Christians be so eager to embrace this trend? What does the Bible say about churches led by women? Does Scripture give concrete commands on this issue, or is it just a matter of personal preference? John MacArthur considers those topics today as he continues to answer this question, Does the Bible Permit a Woman to Preach? That's the title of his lesson. So let's jump right back into it. Here's John MacArthur. To begin with, let's open the Word of God to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I I want you to look down at verse 33, verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And then this sentence really begins the text with regard to our subject. As in all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the Word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or a preacher or spiritual, let that person recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone doesn't recognize this, he is not recognized. Just from that passage alone, there's no lack of clarity with regard to what the Bible says about women who preach. But in spite of the clarity of Scripture, this has become a monstrous issue in our day. One divine statement answers the question, what does the Bible say about women preachers? It's in verse 35, the last part of the verse, it is improper for a woman to speak in church. That's not ambiguous. That's not at all unclear. It is improper for a woman to speak in church. That is an absolute prohibition. Verse 34, really important. They are to subject themselves. You've got to get a hold of yourself. You need a little self-control and self-restraint here. You are to subject yourself. That's an imperative middle voice from the verb hupotasso, which means to line up. Put your life in order. Get your life in order. Get your life under control. Bring yourself into submission, submission to the Lord by submission to your husband and submission to male leadership in the church. Now what about Paul? Was was Paul just out on a limb? Was he just an alpha male with an issue? Or was Paul maybe somehow prejudiced? And this is just Paul, as the most popular woman preacher today says, well, Paul's not Jesus. 
and Jesus told me to preach. Is that what we're dealing with here? Paul is some kind of an independent guy who's giving us his own advice, which isn't consistent with what God wants? No, because it says, look, you're going to have to subject yourself. Why are you going to have to subject yourself? Because the tendency in your fallen heart is to want to overpower men, your husband and leaders in a church. And if you, if you make that noble, if you redefine that, like you're hearing today, we, we need to give women the, the due respect that they haven't had for the last decades and give them their place in the church. You're aiding and abetting the sin and the violation of God's standard. The standard for all the churches is that women need to get themselves under control and realize they are not to speak in a church. To do so is shameful and disgraceful. And this is not whimsically Paul, because at the end of verse 34, he says, just as the law also says. The law with a capital L refers to Scripture. We know that because back in verse 21, we read, in the law it is written, and then Isaiah 28, 11 is quoted. Law is simply a term to define the Old Testament. This is nothing new. Uh, the authority and submission order that God has wonderfully designed for the happiness and blessing of all of us is all the way back from creation. What does the Old Testament say about this? What does the law say about it? Well, first of all, it says God created man, and uh, man was alone, and so God reached into him, took out a rib, and created woman, and created woman to be his helper, to be his helper. We know that from Genesis. We also know that just in, this, in, the, in the normal arc of going through the Old Testament, some things are very obvious. There was never a female priest, never. There was never a, an authorized female king, queen, either in the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. There were always men. The only time a woman ascended to that was Athaliah, the usurper. There was never a female prophet with an ongoing prophetic ministry like Elijah and Elisha. No book in the Old Testament was written by a woman, nor was any portion of an Old Testament book written by a woman. Now there were some women throughout the Old Testament that on occasion spoke for God. Uh, Miriam is called a prophetess or one who speaks for God, but hers was a kind of a musical event, wasn't it, back in Exodus chapter 15. Deborah was a judge in Judges 4, and in the absence of a man, the Lord used Deborah to, to bring about His will on one occasion, but when it came to going to war with the enemies, she was not about to lead the troops, and so she chose a man, Barak, to lead the troops. Another woman is mentioned as one who spoke for God in 2 Kings 22 by the name of Huldah. And then in the New Testament, you have Anna in the temple when Jesus was taken there. Uh, to be dedicated in the temple, and she spoke a word from the Lord, but, but she was not a lifelong prophet. No woman ever had an ongoing prophetic role. But occasionally God used women to speak for Him. In the New Testament, it was the daughters of Philip who on one occasion were used by the Lord to speak, not in a church service, but to speak for God. Those are all exceptions that prove the rule. You just cannot find any woman 
as a priest, any woman as a spiritual leader, any woman as a prophet, anywhere in the Old Testament. But the rebellion was on. Women were going to get their moment in the sun. And they did, tragically. Turn to Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah chapter 3. Judgment is, is coming. A day of reckoning is coming. That's Isaiah's message. This is a very powerful portion of Scripture. We'll start in verse 16. God denounces the women. Moreover, the Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are proud and walk with heads held high, outstretched necks, literally, and seductive eyes. So you have women who are stepping out of the God-ordained boundaries of their own husband's control and putting themselves on display for others with seduction in mind. They go along with mincing steps, a certain kind of walk that is intended to be seductive, and tinkle the bangles on their feet. Therefore the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs, and the Lord will make their foreheads bare." I think the worst thing for a woman is to be bald. That's why those dear women who suffer through cancer and chemo and radiation and all that wear wigs, because everybody recognizes that that's the woman's glory. God's going to make them bald in judgment. In that day, the Lord will take away the beauty of their anklets, headbands, crescent ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, amulets, finger rings, nose rings, festal robes, outer tunics, cloaks, money, purses, hand mirrors. This sounds like a list for the next shopping spree. <laughs> Undergarments, turbans, veils. What you have here is this, these women have just gone crazy trying to call attention to themselves instead of humbling themselves in modesty and discretion under the headship of their husband and giving honor to him. They brazenly flaunt themselves in a seductive way with all this ornamentation, anklets, headbands, crescent ornaments, dangling earrings. So interesting how the Lord is so specific about it. Not that any one of these things is wrong in themselves, but this is so outrageous. Bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, amulets, finger rings, nose rings, festal robes, outer tunics, cloaks, money purses, hand mirrors, undergarments, turbans, veils. Unfortunately, verse 24, it'll come about that instead of sweet perfume, there will be putrefaction. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of a well-set hair, a plucked-out scalp. Instead of fine clothes, a donning of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. And then here's the fallout. Your men will fall by the sword. Guess what? When women take over a culture, men become weak. When men become weak, they can be conquered. They can be conquered. You're watching that happen in this country. As more and more and more and more women ascend to power, 
More and more men become weaker and weaker and weaker, and the level of vulnerability just keeps escalating. Your men will fall by the sword because they become weak. You've, you've literally lived out the curse of Genesis 3. You've desired to dominate them, and you've done it, and your mighty ones are going to fall in battle, and her gates will lament and mourn, meaning the city, and deserted she will sit on the ground. Guess what? When all the men have been slaughtered, you can sit there with all your jewelry and junk. You've been conquered because you've overpowered your protectors. Don't misunderstand this. This this is what we are living in today. The, The curse? has been legitimized even in the evangelical church now, the last frontier to fall. Empowering women makes weak men, weak men make everybody, everybody vulnerable to danger. Go back to chapter 3, verse 12, Oh, my people! Their oppressors are children, and women rule over them." Hmm. Now that's not intended to be anti-woman any more than it's anti-children. You you just... Let me tell you something. If children are in charge, we're in trouble. If women are in charge, we're in trouble. And if you look carefully at our nation, you would have to agree that it's childish, young, inexperienced ignorant women who are ascending into power. When you overthrow the divine order, the results are always disastrous. Again, it's not anti-women any more than it's anti-children, but it's a divine judgment on a nation that its young and its women are in power. Young people, it seems to me, and women are taking over churches. So there's plenty of Old Testament revelation to uphold the New Testament standard for women to keep silent in the churches. By the way, in the New Testament, there there was no woman apostle, there was no woman prophet, there was no woman pastor, elder, no New Testament book is written by a woman, no sermon is ever recorded from a woman. And every time God appoints people, whether it's the apostles or Acts 13, it's all men. This is the divine order. 1 Timothy 2, let's look at that. And this will tie in well with what I just read you from Isaiah 3. 1 Timothy 2. Now Paul is writing to Timothy to help him get the church in order. If you look over at uh, chapter 3 for just a moment, verse 15, 14 and 15, chapter 3, 14 and 15, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Okay, I'm, I'm writing this letter to you so that you know how to conduct things in the church to live consistent with the truth, revealed truth, divine truth, the Word of God. And all throughout this letter, on both sides of that verse, before it and after it, 
Paul gives instruction for the life of the church. In particular, let's go back to chapter 2 and look at the instruction for women. Verse 9, "'Likewise, women are to adorn themselves with proper clothing modestly and discreetly, not with plated hair and gold or pearls or costly garments.'" This is the antithesis of Isaiah 3, right? Women are to be identified because they dress in an appropriate way, appropriate for worship, with modesty and discretion. What is this plated hair with gold pearls and what, what is that about? Since women basically wore a robe from their neck to the floor, uh, the only way they could display their wealth would be in the quality of the garment they were wearing. But even more so, they would weave their pearls and their gold through their braided hair. And so they would put on display their wealth calling attention to themselves. I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with plated hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. You say you're a godly woman, then you should be manifesting good works. And what are those good works? Immediately. Verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet." Whoa! That's how you conduct yourself in the church. Women are called to modesty, they're called to discretion, they're called to good works, they're called to godliness. And what does that mean? That means they receive instruction quietly with entire submissiveness, very strong, very strong language, entire submissiveness. You want to know how entire it is? Go to 1 Peter 3, as Peter gives instruction for godly living. 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is going to talk to the wives again, and he says, in the same way you wives, chapter 3, verse 1. Be submissive to your own husbands. You, you, you get the picture here? They just keep repeating this. Be submissive, be submissive, be submissive. Why? Because of the reality of the fall that built into the curse is a woman's innate fallen desire to overpower her husband and take control, and collectively that means do the same thing in society and even do the same thing in the church. So there's these repeated statements about be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, that is, maybe they're non-believers, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Again, your adornment must not be merely external, plating the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on fancy dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God." Wow! That gentle, quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God. And then he gives an Old Testament illustration. So here's more from the Old Testament law. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I can hear some of you saying, I'm not there. I'm not there. 
maybe deer, maybe honey. I don't know about Lord. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You don't have to fear submitting to your husband. That's God's divine order. Even if he's an unbeliever, you may win him over by your behavior. And again, the assumption in all of these passages is that this is something women have to work on because their fallen nature naturally seeks to control. And by the way, we know that women have the powers of control. They can make life pretty miserable. Do I hear an amen out there rumbling? <laughs> but you, you get the picture with the, all of this in the Word of God that there is a battle going on here. There's a battle in every marriage, there's a battle in every society, there's a battle in every church to keep the divine order. So go back to 1 Timothy 2. So women are called to modesty, discretion, good works, godliness. And what does that look like? It means that they quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, entire submissiveness. But I do not allow women to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. That is so absolute. It's unbending. No preaching, no teaching, no leading position in the church. You say, well, this, again, this is quirky Paul. Is this just Paul? No. Look at verse 13. This was designed by God, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. This is the divine order. It was Adam who was first created and then Eve. God created Adam. He was alone. He took a rib out of Adam. He made a woman, and the woman was to be Adam's helper. But not only was this God's creative design, it was basically affirmed in the fall. Verse 14, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This is a very severe warning, very severe warning. A woman out from under the protection of her head is vulnerable because of typical women's sensibilities passions and compassion because of their tendencies toward kindness and mercy and care, they become more vulnerable when unprotected. That is, that is a reality today that is in no short supply being exhibited by the vast number of women running around single who have neither a father nor a husband to protect them from deception. But the role of women in this authority-submission partnership was designed by God in creation and confirmed in the fall. What happened was Eve got out from under the protection of Adam. She was vulnerable. She was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He basically ate willingly. Why? She sinned because she was deceived by Satan. He sinned because he couldn't live without her. Do you understand that? She had become everything to him. And when the roles are reversed, the women are deceived, bad things happen, the men are made weak, worse things happen. The whole human race went down with Adam. You tamper with this order, 
chaos is unending. You're listening to John MacArthur here on Grace to You as he looked at the role of women in the church, a timely lesson with Mother's Day this weekend. John titled this lesson, Does the Bible Permit a Woman to Preach? Now, near the start of your message today, John, you mentioned the Old Testament character of Deborah, who served as judge in Israel. Many people point to her example as a precedent. They say, Deborah proves that women can hold all the same leadership roles in the church as men. But is the case of Deborah more of an exception than a rule? How do you respond to that? Well, yeah, it is. It is an exception. And even the idea of a judge was not something that was a perpetual position where the judges sat at some tribunal or some bench over a long period of time. The the judges in the book of Judges were people that God raised up in a moment of time in Israel's history to accomplish a purpose that needed to be accomplished. In the case of Deborah, even Deborah deferred to somebody else to lead the, the, the troops into battle. So there were times in the exigencies of the life of Israel when God did raise up a woman, and that would be Deborah, to serve a purpose that was a single purpose rather than some kind of a long-term career. You're right, and it was a time when Israel was sinning, rebelling against the Lord. Do you think there's an, right. an element of the Lord raised her up in order to shame men who weren't doing their job? Yeah, of course, absolutely. That's an important way to look at it. Again, God's design is crystal clear, and you'll hear this in this series. None of the patriarchs are women. None of the apostles are women. None of the 70 sent out in the New Testament are women. None of the Bible writers are women. I mean, this is very clearly God's design. Now, I do want to mention again what I began to mention last time. I have a book called God's High Calling for Women. And it's free to any of you, any of you who are mothers, and that means at any point in time in your life, now or in the past, you're always a mom. If you would like a copy of God's High Calling for Women, we will send it free to you. It will just kind of open up for you what the Bible says about the responsibility that women have in the home, in the church, how they take control of their family, what their passion and what their privilege and what their purpose is and how God has designed that for His honor and His glory. The book is titled God's High Calling for Women, and this defines in God's own terms a role that husbands should affirm and praise and work to preserve great book for moms to study with their daughters. So we'd love to send you a free copy of the book, God's High Calling for Women. If you're a mom, just request a copy today. Yes, this book will help you see exactly how God has gifted women to serve the church and the family. Make sure you pick up a copy today. Again, we'll send God's High Calling for Women to any mom that wants a copy. Just go to our website today. The toll-free number here is 800-55-GRACE, and our website is gty.org. This book, God's High Calling for Women, will show you how to live a Christ-exalting life, how to raise your children to fear the Lord, how to find true fulfillment and joy. It's a great resource for any woman who wants to grow in her faith. Again, if you're a mom, we'll send it to you for free. To get a copy of God's High Calling for Women, call 855-GRACE or go to gty.org. 
And thanks for letting us know how this ministry is strengthening you spiritually and helping you apply God's Word to your life. That kind of feedback is more important than you may realize. Email us at letters at gty.org. Again, that's letters at gty.org. Or if you prefer regular mail, you can write to Grace to You, Box 4000, Panorama City, California, 91412. And now for John MacArthur and the entire staff, I'm Phil Johnson. Thanks for tuning in today, and be here tomorrow when John wraps up his message, Does the Bible Permit a Woman to Preach? It's another 30 minutes of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace to You.